Nice grooving, band. Sounding good. Sounding good. Hey, this morning, I want to jump in. I want to talk to you about one of the famous parables that Jesus ever told. The story or the parable of the Good Samaritan. So allow me to set up the scene for us. There were many times where Jesus was out teaching and preaching, you know, in crowds of people. And this day was no different. He was teaching in front of a group of people when all of a sudden he was interrupted by a teacher of the law, a teacher of the law that wanted to catch Jesus to say something that he wasn't supposed to say, to try and get him in trouble, which is what was a common occurrence among the teachers of the law because Jesus was a threatening figure to them. And so this teacher of the law comes up to Jesus and he says, so Jesus, um, please tell me, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Well, if you've ever read any uh, of the Bible, the New Testament, especially the Gospels, you learn that Jesus is is famous for, for following up somebody's question with a question. And so he says, he says well, you tell me, what does, what, does the, what does Scripture say about it? And uh, so the, the, you know, the scholar, he, he kind of puffs his chest out, and he, he quotes two Scriptures. He quotes Deuteronomy 6.5, which says that we're supposed to love God with everything we have, and Leviticus 19.18, which says that you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. He's feeling pretty good about himself, right? Jesus, he gives him an A+. Plus. He says, great job. That's exactly what you need to do. Love God, love people. If you do that, you will live. Well, wanting to, again, make himself look better than Jesus, this teacher of the law says, well then, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? So Jesus launches into this story, this parable of the Good Samaritan. And what I want to do is I just want to start off by, by reading the story straight through just to refresh our minds in case you haven't read it in a while or haven't heard it. Uh, maybe ever even, um, and I want to refresh our minds, and then what we're going to do is we're going to go back through the scripture that I'm going to read, and we're just going to dissect it a little bit and, and see what takeaways we can learn from this story of the Good Samaritan. So it comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 33. It's going to come up on the screens. Um, here's what it says. It said, in reply, Jesus said, so he's talking to the, this, this teacher of the law as well as to this group of people, and he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be coming by down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went, and he bandaged, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, which is two days' worth of wages, and gave it to the innkeeper. He said, look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So let's go back through the scripture. I wanna, I'm literally just going to kind of go right back through this parable. And I want to talk about a couple of takeaways that I believe we can learn from two main characters or a group of characters. One is the priest and the Levite. What are the things that we can learn kind of not to do from them? And then what are the things that we can learn from the Samaritan that we can apply directly to our lives? Because this story was written many, many, many years ago, you know, 2,000 plus years ago, right? But I believe that there is something that can be applied from the parable of the Good Samaritan to us today. And I hope that God speaks to your heart as I share these things. So let's, let's go back through. Here's what it said, starting in Luke 10, 30. It says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going from Jerusalem 
to Jericho. Now, a little bit about this, uh, this way that he was going. He was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. There's actually a road, still exists today. It's called Jericho Road. Now, Jericho Road is 17 miles long from Jerusalem to Jericho, and it drops 3,200 vertical feet from one end to the other. It's a very, very difficult road to travel on. Very, very strenuous, and um, it's a rocky, difficult uh, to, to traverse but also it was very dangerous because there are many places on this road where there was absolutely nothing on the one side. The road was kind of carved out of the mountain. And on the other side, there's nothing but, you know, air and you could fall off and die. And so this was an infamous place for robbers and thieves to hang out because they like to be able, uh, you know, to, to, to steal people's money, to do whatever they want. And then, you know, there was no way for people to get out. In fact, there was even a place on Jericho Road known as the Way of Blood. Because it was such an infamous place for people to be robbed and even killed in this place. So this is where Jesus sets up this scene. A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is Jericho Road. All of, his, all of these listeners would have said, I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay, so he sets up this scene. People are already like, oh, that's not a good place. Then he goes on to say this. He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, now a priest is a religious leader, obviously, in the community who is, who's meant to model what it means to follow the scriptures of God, someone who you would look to as an example, uh, someone who, who would do the right thing, who was there to teach and preach and also help those in need, happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, a Levite is an assistant to the priest in the temple. So it's almost like you'd think for sure if the priest doesn't so stop, he's going to send a text, you know, to the Levite and say, hey, I have to get down to the church, but could you please stop and help this guy because somebody needs, somebody, you know, from the church needs to kind of help him out. But unfortunately we learn that when he came to the place and saw him, the Levite, he passed by on the other side too. So here, here we have these two highly religious leaders who have this opportunity to help save this guy, right? And, and these would have definitely been the kind of guys that the listeners that were hearing this story from Jesus would have thought, either the priest or the Levite, for sure, they are going to stop, right? They are going to stop. I mean, if there was anyone who they believed would, would be the kind of person that would stop, it would be a priest or a Levite, for sure. But neither of the obvious choices stop to help the man. Why? Well, I believe this is a huge takeaway that we can learn from the mistakes of the priest and the Levite. And the reason why I believe this is a huge takeaway that we can learn is because it is something that if you and I aren't careful of, especially those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, who said, you know what, I'm giving my life to Christ, I'm going to try and live my life. This is something that any one of us can fall into, especially when you've been a Christian for longer and longer and longer. And that is we have to avoid acting religiously and instead act relationally. Avoid acting religiously and instead act relationally. Now what do I mean by that? Well, isn't it true, if you've ever read any of the scriptures um, of Jesus' life on, you know, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you learn something about Jesus. And that is that everything that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the C's and B's and everybody that was back then that was like a religious person, they thought that the way you interpreted and lived out scripture was one way, and Jesus comes on the, sh on the scene, and he shatters the mold of what it means to be a living, breathing example of the Bible. What I mean by that is Jesus was literally a physical, living, breathing replica of God's written word 
in action. So if you ever want to know, how do I respond in a certain situation? What is the best way for me to do it? You go back and you look at the example of Jesus when he was here on earth, and you see how he responded. And a lot of times how he responded was very counterintuitive to the way that the the leaders of the law, the leaders of of the religious world lived back then. And that's why they were so against him, because he he seemed to, uh, in a way, break all the rules. So... What, what we see from Jesus' life is, is, is that being a living, breathing replica, living and acting relationally instead of religiously, is he said stuff that just rocked the first century world. I mean, this was stuff that just was counterintuitive to their culture. He said stuff like, hey, if someone slaps you in the face, don't repay evil for evil. He said, turn the other cheek. Well, what is your natural inclination? Throw a right hook, Right? That's your natural inclination is to throw a right hook. You don't, we don't like to get to not have a payback, right? But Jesus is like, no, that's not how, I'm, that's not how the kingdom of God is. It's turn the other cheek. He, here's another one, another example of a way Jesus rocked the world. If someone talks about you behind your back, don't forgive them in person and then go post your true feelings on Facebook for the world to really see that you haven't forgiven. But instead, truly forgive them, not just once, but over and over and over. That doesn't mean you have to trust them anymore. That doesn't mean that you have to spend time with them, but you do have to forgive them because otherwise you're carrying this weight that is heavier than you're ever going to realize. Another example that Jesus said that just rocked the world back then was he said, if someone asks you for money, give it to them and don't expect to be repaid. Well, that's just crazy. You know, if we, if we loan money to somebody, it just seems natural that they would pay us back. And he's like, no, that's not how the kingdom of God works. We just give without expecting necessarily to get something back. If you, here's another example. If you have someone in your life who's really struggling with something, maybe emotionally, spend time with them. Invest your life in them. Don't just shoo them off and say, you know, give, tell them, hey, you should try this and you should try that. No, take initiative and step in and be a part of their life. Act relationally, not religiously. Religiously, is, it's too formal and it's not the way that Jesus allowed us to live. There are principles from our Christian religion that we should apply, but it's about acting relationally. So, the next lesson I believe that we can learn from the priest and the Levite is this. And that is the priest and the Levite, um, whenever, whenever they were at the, at the road and they, and they passed by, they never asked their, themselves this question. And that is, is this God's time or is it my time? Is this God's time or is it my time? So we have to avoid acting religiously and instead act what? relationally, that's right. And, and the second thing we have to ask ourselves is, is this God's time or is this my time? There was a really interesting study that was done by uh, two theological professors from Princeton Theological Seminary where they had their students conduct this, they didn't know they were in, a, in a, an experiment, but they were. And what they did was they had their, their theological students, um, their seminary students, write a message on the Good Samaritan, all right? Now, what they told the students was, you are going to write a sermon on the Good Samaritan, and then after you're done preparing for it, we're going to call you one by one over to another building where you're actually going to give the, the message of the Good Samaritan. Okay? Now, after the time was over, um, and they had given them enough time, one by one they'd call them out into the hallway, and half of the students, they told them when they came out into the hallway, 
hey, you have a few extra minutes to get over to the other room where you're going to be speaking across campus. So take your time, just get over there whenever you can, um, and you'll be up, you know, relatively, you know, in, in a few minutes, okay? The other half of the students, they told them that they were up next and that they should hurry over from where they prepared their sermon to where they were going to give their sermon. Now, what they did, as you can probably imagine this experiment, is that the two professors planted a man in between the two buildings, kind of in an alleyway. I guess it was like a city area. And uh, they planted this man in an alleyway. He was hunched over. His condition was unknown to the students who would be passing by. But they wanted it to appear that he needed some sort of help, that he was either drunk or he had a mental disability or maybe he was actually physically hurt. The students wouldn't know. But the idea was to find out if because these students who had just given a uh, prepped a message on the Good Samaritan to see if because that was fresh in their mind, would they stop to help the man? Well, they were hoping it would, that that would make a difference, but it turned out there was only one variable that really mattered. You have, do you know what it was? Time. Time. Of the students who were told they had some extra time, 63% stopped to help the man. Of those told that they needed to hurry on their way because they were up next, less than 10% stopped to help the man. Wow. Wow. What does that tell us? Well, one professor said about this experiment, he said, it's hard to think of a context in which helping those in distress is more noticeable than for a person thinking about the Good Samaritan, and yet it did not significantly increase their willingness to stop and help. Indeed, on several occasions, a seminary student who was giving his... Who, who was going to give his talk on the parable of the Good Samaritan, literally stepped over a victim as he hurried on his way. Isn't that something? These students who had just written a message on the power and the importance of helping those in need, helping other people, because they felt rushed, they missed the opportunity that they had in front of them. Because they allowed their time to control them. Instead of asking, is this God's time or is it my time? We, whenever we have a clock, when we feel the tick, 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 tick of a clock, isn't it true that other stuff goes out the window? We, we, we lose uh, the ability to perceive whenever there's a need, whenever we need to fill a need. You see, if we're not careful, just like the priest and the Levite, you and I can confuse our, our watches, our cell phones with, with the clock on them, our calendars that are booked full of activities and stuff going on in our lives. If we aren't careful, we will allow those activities and those things to, allow, uh, to, to, to determine what we do with our time. Instead of every day kind of waking up and saying, God, I know today is your day. You gave me this day. So I give you my time. I give you my energy, Lord. Everything, any way you want to use me in anything, I give it to you. Because this is your day, not my day, God. And this is your time, not my time. So let's review. Lessons from the road, from the priest and the Levite. What did we learn? You, we have to avoid acting what? And start acting. That's right. And the second thing is we have to ask the question, is this time or is it? time. That's right. Is it God's time or is it my time? Avoid acting religiously and instead act relationally. These are a couple things that we can learn and, and, it's, and it's true. It's, it's easy to point back at somebody else and say about the priest and the Levite, well they should have stopped. Well whenever you think about it in those terms with those two principles that we need to think and act uh, relationally instead of religiously and we need to not allow our time to determine everything about our lives, 
all of a sudden it becomes quite obvious that even though this parable was told over 2,000 years ago, the same principles apply today. Do you know what I'm saying when I say that? And so let's, let's take a look at the second half of the story. I want to I take a look at the hero of the story, the Good Samaritan. We're going to pick it up in Luke 10, 33. I want to share with you two main takeaways that I believe we can learn from the Samaritan, the Good Samaritan from this story. Here's what it said. Pick, we're picking it up in 1033. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Now, Jesus' listeners, when they would have heard Jesus say this about a Samaritan, notice that despised is underlined and that he felt compassion. His listeners would have been like, a who felt what? We hate Samaritans. See, Samaritans, they were a mixed breed of Jew and not Jew. And so the full-blooded Jews, man, they hated the Samaritans. If, if Jesus, it would be awesome if this actually happened. I don't think it's going to. But if Jesus were literally to come out on stage right now in person, okay? That would be so cool if he came out. Um, I'd be like, go ahead. It's all yours. Um, if he came out here, he would probably say something like this. He would probably say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about a type of person who you have difficulty loving or even liking. Okay? Maybe it's because of the way they dress or the color of their skin, or you can tell because uh, of the way that they speak to you on the phone when they're trying to sell you something, and all of a sudden it just brings up this hatred for this type of person. Or maybe you're in the airport and you see somebody who looks a little bit different, and you're like, there's something about them that I just don't trust, that I just don't like. If you have a prejudice toward a certain type of person, this is similar to how the Jews felt about the Samaritan that Jesus is talking about in this story. But Jesus goes on to say about the Samaritan whom his audience all hates. Okay, He goes on to say, Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, do not forget that line, and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now there's one particular verse or one particular sentence in that, in this, that I believe is a huge takeaway. And that is this. Then he, meaning the Samaritan, put the man on his own donkey. Now, Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but do you remember at the beginning when I told you that they were on, this, this scene of this parable was, was written about Jericho Road, right? Jericho Road is a place where very, very difficult terrain, difficult to walk on, 3,200 vertical feet drop from one end to the other, very difficult for a human to walk on. But if a guy had a donkey, a donkey is known for being a sturdy, four-legged animal, Right? There's a really good chance that this Samaritan, as he came across this guy on the road, there's a chance, a really good chance, that he was riding on the donkey. And so, in order for the man to put the man on his donkey, what would the man have had to do to put the man on his donkey? He would have to, what, get off his donkey. Now, I don't think I need to spell it out for you, but what is another word? Don't say it out loud, please. We're in church. What is another word for donkey? Do not say it. Do not say it. What is the, the guy got off his donkey, people. He got off his donkey. There we go. There we go. Now, you can take my point however you want, but here's what I actually mean. What I mean 
is that the Samaritan sacrificed something he had. In this case, it was his donkey for somebody else. He gave what he had for something else. You'll notice that it says that he, he bandaged him up. He used uh, olive oil and wine. That was his own resource. He paid for him to go and, and stay at, this, at the, you know, this inn and take care of his needs. This guy gave up his resources. He got off his donkey. He, he allowed his resources to be used for somebody else. Now, I can almost guarantee that somebody is going to use this biblical, biblical point out of context at some point today, I can just imagine there's going to be a husband and wife with their kids at home, and the wife's going to be in the kitchen making lunch, and the husband's going to be lounging on the couch, um, and the kids are going to be bouncing off the walls. And I could just imagine the wife coming into the, the, the living room and saying, did you not hear a word that was said in that message today? You need to get up off your donkey, and you need to go take care of those kids. But she would be taking my point completely out of context. Okay, that is not what I mean. I mean that he provided his resources to help. The Samaritan provided resources to help this guy who was in need. The last point I want to share, and before I share it, I want to just ask our band to come on back out as we uh, wrap things up. The last thing I want to share before we pack it up is something that I believe the Samaritan did that I believe we can too. And that is this. We can learn a lesson from the road from the Good Samaritan is that we need to resist believing I can't and start believing he can through me. Resist believing I can't and start believing he can through me. How many times have you and I not taken action in an area where where we know there's a need, we understand that, that we could be the person that fills that gap, but we don't take action either because we say, I can't because I don't have the ability, I don't have the time, I don't have the resources, whatever it is. I want you to think about something. I want you to think about the story of the Good Samaritan and think about all the reasons and examples that guy had to not stop and help this guy. He could have thought to himself, I mean, if there's anybody that had a reason not to stop and help a guy in need, it was the Samaritan. He's despised. He was hated, right? But he believed, I can't, but he can through me. You see, here's the reasons. He could have said to himself, you know what? This guy's probably a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. And if anybody even sees me near this guy, I could be the next guy laying dead on the side of the road, Right? That could be, that could be a, a legitimate fear that this guy had, but it didn't stop him from, from helping this person on the road. He, you know, he, he, could have said, he could have said something like, man, I can't afford to help this guy. I got six wives and 58 kids at home. You know, like, I, I, can't, I can't be, you know, that's, an old, that's like an old 2,000 years ago joke. Um, you know, they, they had lots of wives and lots of kids. <laughs> Listen, we always have reasons. We always have reasons for why we say we can't. But what if we changed our mentality from I can't, but I know he can through me. See, what will happen is our minds are going to try and convince us of a lie. For example, maybe you're in this situation right now. You say to yourself, you know what, I know I made a promise and a vow to her. And I said, I do, I will make it through thick and thin. I will persevere, even in difficulty, even even in difficult circumstances. But you want to know what? I can't be patient one more day. And you're probably right. You can't. But he can through you. 
Maybe you get approached about serving someone in the church. Maybe it's in the student ministry, all right? And you, you almost laugh because you say, you know what? If you knew my baggage and my background and the mistakes I made as a teenager, you wouldn't want me anywhere near those kids, right? I can't do that. And I can almost hear God saying, actually, that's exactly why I want to use you. You see, I want to use the mistakes you made to be able to teach and guide those students as you invest your life in them. I'm going to use your story and your life to be able to save those kids years of regret because they get to hear from your story instead of having to go through it themselves. We have to stop believing I can't and start believing I can through him. Listen, what would happen if we took on the kind of attitude that I can't but he can through me? What would happen in this church if we started to believe that? In this community, if we started to believe that? At Jay Cox Elementary School, if we started to believe that? What kind of impact could we have on the next generation if when we saw a need, we just had compassion, and as a result, we moved to it? Just like the Samaritan. He had compassion on the man. He didn't know all the details of it, but he knew he needed to take action. How might your life and your family's life change if on a daily basis the, these words came out of your mouth. Father, I can't do all that's required of me. I literally step over opportunities every single day. But God, I give you my life. I give you my time. I give you everything that I have because whenever I said yes to you, whenever that was, that was me saying yes, including my time, including my resources, including my energy. And God, I know that there's a lot of variables that could really get in the way if I do say yes to you, but I also know this, Lord, that when I say yes to you and I give you everything, that you, Father, will take full responsibility for a life that is fully devoted to you.